0: I hope you'll keep that song in mind at the end of the message and this series. Every week when Dave and I get together, we plan the songs and the set around the message and what it is that we believe God wants to say to all of us. And the other day brought me that video clip and that song, and I thought, it's perfect. We're going to begin a five-week series on the life of David. We're going to begin it with that song. We're going to end it with that song on Thanksgiving weekend. And I really pray that that heart at the end, at the end of the day, this is what I want to be known for, will resonate with you over these next weeks together as we unfold and unpack his life and to be able to ask ourselves that question and be able to honestly answer it that way. At the end of the day, that's what I want to be known for, that my heart's like your heart. I don't know if you've ever met anyone and you found yourself walking away, maybe for the very first time, obviously for the very first time you met them and thought, are they for real? It just seems to be something about them that, I mean, it looks okay on the outside and, and, and I see all of that, but there seems to be something empty on the inside. It seems kind of shallow. And you met other ones, and you thought, wow. Now, that's authentic. That's genuine. And the longer you get to know them, the more you're convinced of that. You know as well as I know, the longer you get to know people, either they'll grate on you or be attracted to you. And you'll be attracted to them. The longer you're around someone, the more you'll enjoy that experience and that relationship. And other times it will go the other way. You'll find things out about them that are a little bit different than what you thought going in. It's okay to pretend when you're a kid. We've all done that at one point or the other. But as adults, we want to be as authentic and genuine as we possibly can be. In the early 80s, the Christian Missionary Alliance, it gathers every year or every other year now of pastors and missionaries around the world gathered in Anaheim, California. First time I'd ever been there and had the opportunity to go a couple days early and my aunt at that time happened to live there and she said, I'll take you on a tour and as sad as this sounds, I was in my late 20s, it was the first time ever I'd gone to Disney World. Now it's kind of sad, isn't it? I had a sheltered life. And then she took us to Universal Studios. And as I walked down the streets or drove down the streets on the cart, and I saw all of these things that I'd seen as a kid growing up. And I looked at all those houses. I mean, it was Leave it to Beaver and my three sons and all that. I just aged myself pretty dramatically, I realized You're going to leave it to who? But, but I saw these houses and I thought, man, that's cool. It's the same places I saw on TV when I was a kid growing up. And then all of a sudden you went in the backside of it and you realized, again, this is how naive I was. It was fake. It was just a facade on the outside, nothing on the inside. And then obviously they showed us the studios and I realized all of it was pretty much that way. And then I thought, that's a, a little bit like some people I've known. Everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside, kind of empty. Kind of shallow. I have your sermon notes in your bulletin this morning. I encourage you to take them out. And I had these lines in there. We live in a day when image is higher than character. When style counts more than real accomplishment. We're impressed with the outward appearance. For some, life is skimmed from the surface and the depths remain usually unexplored. David, the main character that we're going to be dealing with over the next few weeks, is a man that was a whole lot deeper than what you see in the outside. More written about David than any other character in Scripture except Jesus. 14 chapters about Abraham, 14 about Joseph, 11 about Jacob, 69 about David. Not only 69 chapters in the Old Testament, 59 references to David's life in the New Testament. He was a man Scripture calls after God's own heart. The only one defined with that phrase. And when I thought about that phrase and thought about the series that we're going to be in and this Old Testament character study that we've been doing over the last few months, I thought, there's no way that I can pass up an opportunity to spend some time in David's life, called a man after God's own heart. And I found myself saying, that would be a great thing on my tombstone. That'd be a great thing for someone to say about any of us. That it wasn't just what you saw on the outside, they were the same everywhere in their life. And what you saw is what you knew was real. Wasn't pretense, wasn't trying to pretend, wasn't trying to put something on, or wasn't trying to be something on Sunday that they weren't on Wednesday. They were a person after God's own heart. I thought, now that's a phrase I want to unpack. Now, to set it up and to set up the end, which is really profound questions and statements about David, I've got to give you a little bit of a history. Now, I know all of you love history. It was one of your favorite subjects in school, right? Well, strangely enough, it really was one of my favorite because I couldn't understand math to save my soul. So, I poured my life into history. Israel had come a long way from God. Now you've been on a journey with us over the last few months if you've been here and realize the up and down relationship that Israel had with God. They had known better days. They weren't there then. There was one point in their history that they were ruled by judges and priests. Two of them stand out in the Old Testament. A guy by the name of Eli and a guy by the name of Samuel. Both Eli and Samuel were really godly priests. Unfortunately, both of them had ungodly children. None of them qualified to rule over the nation of Israel or the people of Israel because of their lifestyle. And the people began to clamor for a king. They wanted something else. They saw the unnatural relationship between the sons of Samuel and the sons of Eli. And they felt there had to be something better than that. And obviously they were right. Now, two observations in your sermon notes out of that that just stand out to me like neon signs, and, and that is one of them in this statement, being close to God's house doesn't carry, guarantee godliness. Being close to God's house, being in a seat on a Sunday, doesn't guarantee godliness. Being in a seat on a Sunday morning, for many of you who have been in seats like this all of your life, doesn't guarantee that you're a follower of Christ. It's not about being in a place, it's about being in connection with Him. Being in church doesn't make your children believers. Bringing them to church doesn't make them believers. Giving them the opportunity to let them see Jesus in you, sharing with them the plan of salvation, the life of Christ and why He came, and what He offers and allowing them to embrace it into their their lives, that's what makes them followers of Christ. There are a lot of people that really think they're okay as long as they go to church, as long as they're sitting in a pew or a seat on a Sunday morning, and it's not about... Even what I know is about how I live and how I live out what I know. That's being in God's house doesn't necessarily guarantee godliness. And you know that as a parent, for those of you who are raising children, know the challenge of trying to help them understand how to live out what they're hearing as truth. The second obvious insight in this context here is that spiritual oversight of a church or a nation, if it's not what it should be, Creates an enormous amount of unrest in the body. And they clamor for things they maybe shouldn't have. But all of it a result of poor spiritual leadership. In Israel's case, they began to demand for a king. They looked to a man named Saul. Now he looked good on the outside, head and shoulders above everyone else. Handsome, charisma, looked like a leader. So they said, make him our leader. But instead of being a man after God's own heart, Saul was a man after his own heart and the people's heart. On a number of occasions, he continued to be disobedient to God's plan. And near the end of his reign, his reign became in trouble. I want you to turn with me just for a moment to First Samuel chapter 13. We're going to Be from 13 to 16, just little snippets out of that. And I encourage you to spend some time at home reading the foundation for that. I tried to give it to you on Saturday. And fortunately on yesterday's phone tree, I only said 13 to 15. So I know every one of you who listened to that read all three of those chapters. And I feel bad that you didn't go into 16. But I want to unpack some of the story behind him and then set up some really profound questions that we need to ask ourselves in light of the context. Samuel, the priest at that particular point, comes to Saul and said look I need you to know your reign's about to end you've been disobedient to God you've not kept his commands verse 13 of chapter 13 if you had he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time your kingdom's not going to last it it will not endure the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him to be ruler over his people because you have not obeyed the Lord's command after Samuel rebuked rebuke Saul, he continued to remain disobedient. Looked good on the outside, nothing on the inside. So God moves on in his plan, chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel after he'd already told him what was going to happen to Saul, look how long are you going to mourn for Saul? i rejected him as king over Israel and I'm going to want you to fill your horn, I'm going to send you on your way, I want you to anoint one of the sons of Jesse that I have chosen. And so in chapter 16 verse 1, Samuel moves on. He has questions of God, which are rightfully so. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it. He'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer. Say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I'll show you what to do. You're to anoint him, anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they saw him. You come in peace. He said, yes, in peace. I come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely this is the one. But this is the key verse to the whole section of Scripture, verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height. I rejected him, he's not the one. You see, the Lord doesn't look at things that people look at. People look at outward appearance. God looks at the heart to the very soul of an individual. The very thing that happened to Israel the first time when they looked at Saul was happening again, even with Samuel, he looks at Eliab and says, man, this guy is going to make a great king. Look at him. He does what you and I do sometimes if we're not careful. We look at the outside instead of the authenticity, the character, who they really are at the core. God says I want you to know I've got a standard to judge by better than yours. My criteria is different. You look at looks and wealth and intelligence and ability. I look at the heart. And Jesse called Bim and dad and passed him in front of them and did it with the other seven sons. Verse 10 tells us and they all passed by and Samuel said to him, Lord hasn't chosen any of these. So he asked Jesse, these all you have. Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered in verse 11. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send to him. Send for him. We won't sit down until he arrives. Now, the word youngest doesn't only mean in age. It often means overlooked. Paul said to Timothy, never let anyone look down on you because you're young. It always amazes me, the people that God chooses, that sometimes... We may be not, based on what we think on the outside or what we think they are now, as opposed to what they can become if we allow God to use them in amazing ways. So Jesse sent for David and had him brought in. Verse 12, he was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of that. The difference is it goes deeper to the core of who he was. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil that we sang about a moment ago and anointed him the presence of the brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord fell powerfully on David and Samuel went away. Now, this is the question that I have for you. All of those sons that Jesse paraded in front of him, certainly thinking one of them are going to be chosen. One of them must be what God is looking for. One of them must be what Samuel is looking for. It wasn't any of them until he comes to David. So the question that I find myself asking is, what was it about David that made God say You're the one. That's the one. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. Three things that I want to give you today. One is spirituality. And and I want to define it first by what it's not. Spirituality is not a drab face. It's not rules and rituals. It's not piety. Spirituality is simply being a man or a woman that seeks after the heart of God. What God desires, they desire. What are God's concerns are their concerns. The phrase implies that a spiritual person is in harmony with God. What is important to God is important to them. What burdens God burdens them. Spirituality is a heart that is sensitive to God and sensitive to his voice. Just like a husband is sensitive to his wife's needs. She shouldn't always have to be saying, what is, what I'm looking for, where you're at, he should be so close to her, he should recognize what she's all about, what she needs without always being told. A person with a heart after God knows that when God speaks, I hear. When God speaks, I listen. When God tells me to deal with something in my life, I want to do that. The one who has a heart after God knows that the things that breaks God's hearts, breaks theirs. When God pointed out David's sin with Bathsheba that you hear about next Sunday morning through the prophet Nathan, David could have had Nathan kill. Or at least said, how dare you point out my sin? Instead, he falls on his face before God with a broken heart. Spiritual man isn't a person who never sins. A spiritual person is one who, when they do sin, repent and determine never to do it again. So the questions under the canopy of spirituality are these, am I reachable and am I teachable? Am I in a place that God can get a hold of me and get my attention? Am I in a place where God can get a hold of me and get my attention? And when he does, am I willing to change? And both of those two need to go together. Being in a place where God gets our attention many times happens in a variety of different contexts could happen on a Sunday morning, could happen when we sing a song, could happen when I hear a verse, when I'm riding on, uh, through life and all of a sudden we sense the Spirit of God saying something to us and we know there is an area of our life, we, we make a decision and do something and have a thought or whatever that may be and all of a sudden we realize that's, that's not godly, that's not what I want to do, that's not what I want to be, that's not how I want to react. It isn't always only being in a place where I hear the voice of God. The issue is, will I respond to that? Will I do, will I be obedient to what he's telling me no longer to do or what now to do? Spirituality is being in a place where I know I can hear the voice of God, and when I hear it, I'll be obedient to it. It doesn't mean you're perfect, not at all. It just means I'm in harmony with God. I'm listening to his voice and not only in places where I can hear that or know that the spirit is saying to me, you know, you, you really don't want to respond like that anymore. And you're willing to change. Not excuses. You know, that's just the way I've always been. My dad was like that. My, my, his dad was always like, just yell at everybody. Just always got mad and got it all out. At least they didn't bottle it up. The problem is when you spill it all out, you spill it all over the people that you're wanting to love. So instead of making excuses about patterns of behavior, what I used to be, or what I've seen all my life, it's a willingness to say, you're right, God, that's not how I want to react. That's not what I want to do. That's not what I want to become. That's not what I want to be. A man or woman after the heart of God is one who hears his voice, Finds themselves in a position where they can listen for that. And when they hear it and God points it out, they're obedient to what he's saying. Second thing about David is his humility. After this experience here, where David is anointed king by Samuel, he gets back to tending sheep, back to doing what he had been doing until he was ready and prepared, until God said, Okay, now's the time. Saul is out of the picture. Now you're the king. He could have gone back and said, look, there is no way on the planet. I'm going back to those stinking sheep. I've just been anointed king. He didn't go out and buy a crown. Didn't change his business card from shepherd to king elect. He's the same person after he's anointed as he was before. The one thing you can tell about a humble person is they don't try to elevate themselves. They allow God to do it. They don't try to lift up themselves. They allow God to do it. They don't always have to remind you of all they've done for God or even all the things they've accomplished in life. They allow God to do that. They allow their life to be the visual testimony or the visual awareness to the people around them of who they are. The people that always have to tell you what they've done or how good they've done or how many times they've prayed or how often they've prayed. Kind of makes you wonder if that's just something they're telling me, but not what they really do. The humble person is one who lives it in such a way that others recognize it. That's what I want to be like. That's who I want to emulate. I've watched their lives for years. And I know how consistent they are in that. And I want to be like that. Someone has said sad about David's life. Sad is the day when I try to climb up on the throne When God still wants to use me on the hillside. There's a cross reference in your sermon notes in Psalm 78 where it says he, he as in God chose David, took him from the sheep pen, from tending sheep, and brought him in and set him up to the shepherd of the people of Israel, of Israel, his inheritance. God took him from the sheep pens and shepherding sheep to shepherding Israel. So the two questions that come out of that is, am I responsible Am I faithful over the little things that God has given me to do? Am I trusting God to lift me up, or am I always lifting up myself? Now, it doesn't mean you don't have initiative. It doesn't mean you don't have aspirations. It doesn't mean you don't have drive. It's how you achieve those things. We always have to tell everyone all that we've done, Then maybe there's something missing, as opposed to what God sees, God recognizes, people are aware of, and they put us in those positions. Am I responsible and faithful over the little things that God wants me to do? And am I trusting God to lift me up or am I doing it my own? Third thing is obviously integrity. Integrity, the simplest description or definition of integrity is honesty when no one else is watching. It's who you are when no one else sees. It's not what you appear to be, it's what you really are at the very core of your soul. Psalm 78 also describes David as, one who shepherded them with integrity of heart. It's being the same on the inside and in situations where no one else is watching as you appear to be on the outside. So the questions naturally come out of that is, am I honest? Am I real? Is what people see on Sunday what everyone else sees throughout the week? And is what everyone else sees through the week and what people see on Sunday the same as what God sees when there's no one watching? I think the difference between people who over the long haul seem spiritually successful and people who are up up and down in their spiritual walk relates to these three things. Who really are honest with who they are and honest with what God's doing and allow God to do that in really phenomenal ways. Your character and my character are going to be tested every single day, if not every day, at least every week, in large ways and small ways. Sometimes they're really solid moral choices. What I see in front of me, a temptation that's around me, something that comes my way, deciding what to do, how to respond, how I should respond to this. Sometimes it's in really small ways. I've been given too much change. And I'll just get to put the $3 back in my pocket and not worry about it. And sometimes it's in really large ways, but I'm honestly telling you, your character and mine are going to be challenged almost every single day of our lives. And it gives us an opportunity to allow God to shape and mold and form in us what he wants us to become, a person after God's own heart, who is sensitive to his voice, who recognizes when God speaks, who is willing to make the changes that are necessary, who aren't always about making sure that everybody understands who they are and what they've accomplished and how good they look on the outside, but are willing to allow God to just use, use them in amazing ways, who are as honest and genuine when everyone sees, as when no one else is watching but God. Being in a place where God can speak, I can hear, I will listen, I will follow, is what identifies us as people who really are after God's own heart. A couple of weeks ago when I was putting the series together and I recognized that we would be in communion mode at the end of the month, like we've been for the last few months, I thought, what a great opportunity for us to do what Paul tells us to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, based on what we've just shared in the message. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul rehearses what had been rehearsed in the Gospels. He shares a story. The very night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this is where you'll get life. The world will make you think it's in a whole lot of other places, It's in a whole lot of other things, but I just want you to know you're going to get real life from me. You may think it's in all those things. You may think it's in all that stuff, but it's really not. At the end of the day, it will leave you hollow and empty. Real life comes from me. And and every time you hold this bread, I want you to recognize that I've given my life for you. And I've given you life in this. So I want you to seek it from me. And then he took a cup, shared it around, he said... All through the Old Testament, for sins to be forgiven, blood had to be shed. And so for centuries after century after century, they paraded animals to the priest who shed the blood of sacrifices so that their sins could be forgiven. He said, I want you to know, I will now take their place. Matter of fact, I'll take your place. I'll shed my blood so that you don't have to pay the price. And I offer it to you so that your sins can be forgiven to have your slate wiped clean. Paul then, after finishing that story, basically says this, in light of what Jesus has done, before you eat the bread and drink the cup, you ought to look inside. You ought to examine yourself, he says it in 1 Corinthians. You ought to make sure that there's clean communication between you and God. So this morning, as we hold these elements in our hands, what I'm going to ask you to do is Just be honest to God and honest with Him. God, I want to be in a place where I do hear your voice. And not only hearing it, I I want to respond. I want to do what you're asking me to do. I want people not to look at what I've done or how good I look or what I've accomplished or what I have. I want them to see who I am in the inside and know that's as pleasing to you as it is to me. So I want to be in that place. And I want to hear your voice. We're going to allow you the opportunity after the elements are served just to spend some time in reflection. And then I've asked Dave to sing one of the songs we sang earlier, All to Jesus I Surrender. And all means pretty much all. (laughs) Not just most of the things, not just a lot of me, but all. And so if you can sing that with honesty and integrity... There's some amazing release and relief that comes with that if you've not been here before we allow the opportunity for the elements to go out they're all in one tray bread's in the middle and the cups are on the edge and the person beside you can help you or hold it and everybody takes one of each and holds it in their hand everyone will be served Dave will lead us a little bit in that song and then I'll come up and lead us in partaking the elements that's a great time to spend some time with God tell you different jesus said this is where you'll get life this is where you'll find acceptance this is where you'll find grace this is where you'll find love this is where you'll find forgiveness and the opportunity to start over again find it in me and i'll give you everything else that you're looking for but it starts here let's share it together Father, I can't get the words out of my head of that song. At the end of the day, may it be said, my heart looks like yours. That's an enormous challenge. And I'm so thankful that you didn't allow us to try to figure it out on our own. But you offered yourself and your spirit to breathe life into us. to Give us your word, to give us direction and insight as to how to live that out. So may that be the greatest desire of our lives. At the end of the day, to hear them say, my heart looks like yours. Please help me to do that. Help us as well. Thank you for your grace and your love and for all that you offer us. For guidance and direction from your word, for relationships in the family of God. May your glory and grace continue to abound as we flesh out what it is you're telling us to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Life group leaders meeting right out that way after the service. Thank you so much for being here today and being a part of our time together. We're going to continue this journey, and we trust you'll be a part of it these weeks. If I can pray for you in any way, be honored to do that. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an amazing day.